Hello, welcome to Life in the Weeds. My name is Alex Ballou. I am the host of this podcast. And on this episode, we've got my friend Gavin Kaysen. Gavin is one of America's best chefs. He is the chef and owner of Swange Hospitality in Minneapolis. He's got so many things going on. He has done some incredible things throughout COVID, and he is transforming the hospitality space. He is very wise. I am so lucky to have him as a friend and mentor from afar. Please enjoy this episode with Chef Gavin Casey. are sponsored by Legacy Home Loans. As you may know, home prices have absolutely skyrocketed this year. If you own your own home, you are potentially sitting on a ton of equity. Legacy Home Loans is saving people two, three, even $400 or more dollars a month by lowering their interest rate and or waiving their mortgage insurance. Also, they're helping people get cash out to pay off credit card debts or other debts and do home improvements like building a pool. Legacy Home Loans can help you skip two mortgage payments. And trust me, there's nothing like taking a summer vacation from spending big money. So contact my friend Eric Parks at Legacy Home Loans, 615-585-4232, NMLS 115-8822. Are you looking for a way to get your diet under control? Made South Meals has chef-prepared, amazing, healthy, delicious, fresh-packed meal prep. These guys can help you get everything under control, your portion size, get your protein in with all the flavor. Meals go from $10 to $15. It's locally made, locally owned, and it will help you get in shape. Check them out, www.madesouthmeals.com. Let these guys change the way you see food. You get it? I'm too stupid to use the t- uh, computer. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was logged into the wrong Zoom account. Apparently, I created an account six years ago that I've never logged into. See, that's what happens. You don't you don't know until you know. You don't know what you don't know. That's it. Story of my life. Sorry, How I'm, you doing? Sorry, I've wasted 17 minutes of your time. It's, it's all good, man. It's all good. It's going to be the condensed version of my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Real fast. We're just going to uh, do it in like one and a half speed. So how are you? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. It's uh, nice to get things back up and running. Yes. That's for sure. Did y'all have to close down Spoon and Stable like everything again? Uh, so we closed twice. So we were open last. So we closed initially in March. Then we reopened again, I think, in June. And then we closed again the week before Thanksgiving. And then reopened Valentine's week in February. And we've been open since then. Okay. Did something, did y'all close briefly? Because I saw, I feel like I saw on Instagram that you were now accepting reservations for Spoon and Stable again. No, no, I think that was just the the fact that the bar is now taking walk-ins. Because we had to, up into that point, I think it was July 1st or maybe it was like June 20 something or whatever, but it was like you had to have, everybody had to have a reservation. Gotcha. So y'all are so back to hundred percent capacity. Yep. Yep. Amazing. Full on. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's full on too. It's crazy. I'm going to text my wife back and tell her I'm going to call her right back. Oh, well, I don't doubt it. I mean, y'all been crazy from day one. Now everybody's rip roaring, ready to go. It's like the roaring twenties. Everybody's just crazy yeah. ready. It's insane. And it's like, I mean, Saturday night we did, 
like 14 covers shy of 300 people. Good grief. Yeah. That's amazing, yeah. though. That's great. It's great. It's great to see it busy again. It's good to see the energy. It's good to feel the energy again. Yeah. It's good to all, all, all of that is good. Um, but boy, it is, it has been, it is still, it still takes you time to like get back into that groove again of like serving that many people cooking for that many people. Um, you know, there's just, there's so much complexities that go in it and we've all been out of it for so long and it's, you know, it takes practice to kind of get back into the game. Yeah. It's not like riding a bike for some reason. It's, it's, no. it's a strange thing. Like you've done it your whole life, but there's this blip of time that, that bumps you off of it. And then all of a sudden you're like, how the hell do we do this? I've, yeah. <laughs> I think I forgot yeah. the rhythm of service and the, it's just such a strange, it's just been a weird year. I, I, I wish I had a dollar for every time I said that it would, I know I'd have a lot of dollars. Yeah, uh, exactly. How, how is your city doing currently? Cause the, yeah, it's, it's coming a, back. It, I mean, it's, it's been a bad year there. for your city. Yeah, it's been it's been a uh, it's been a very earth shattering year. I mean, it's the epicenter for so much change. Yeah. Uh, and so with you know, with that has come a lot of um, <clears throat> a lot of anxious feelings, a lot of inspiring things, a lot of confusion, a lot of everything. And I think at the end of the day, you know, we're we are at least in a moment of time where there is significant change that is currently happening and going to continue to happen and evolve. And if, if what happened in Minneapolis with, with George Floyd, if that, you know, clearly that is the cat part of the catalyst of, 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 of these changes, you know, I think that there's, there's little doubt in my mind living here that having it happen in Minnesota and in Minneapolis helped that change even more so because I just don't think people ever thought of Minnesota um, to, to be this way. And I think that it's sort of exploited, you know, just sort of what's been in the underbelly of our country for so many decades. Um, and it's, you know, it's, there are parts of, there are parts of our, of our city um, that are still, you know, not wonderful to be in. And that, that hasn't, that's not going to go away overnight. Um, and I don't think that, you know, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's not a small town. So it, it, it is a metropolitan city. And so you will always have, you know, you will always have pockets of that, but sure. you know, it's, it's going to take the community to help bring it back together for yeah. sure. Well, and it's not a light switch. I mean, these, these things, no. you're talking decades of issues. You can't, this is not a thing that you fix in a weekend. That's right. You don't get together behind a, a boardroom and be like, all right, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all done. Yeah, it's all exactly. changed. Okay. Uh, well, while I don't want to make this uh, a COVID-based interview, because I'm sure you've had your fair share, um, <laughs> and and but and I will say this: like I think you've a lot of really good things have come from COVID that you that you've spearheaded, and you know, I've said it a few times, and it's a weird thing to say, but in COVID there have been some blessings. A lot of people have had gigantic perspective shifts, and a lot of people you know, change their careers. They got to spend time with family that they never had. I mean, some restaurants, some businesses that were barely hanging on by a thread had the ability to say, I think we're done. And, you know, it gave people reasons to do things and it, it pulled the, the wool out of your eyes in some ways. And so people learned some things. 
there was so much tragedy involved, but there were still some blessings. And from that, you you've created a, f- a few things that are really really cool that I want to dig into, but not now. So yeah, little boy growing up in Minneapolis. I don't. You don't yeah. sound redneck. I do. I don't know why. That was yeah. my that was my version <laughs> of you. Um, my name's Gavin Cation. So what what makes you want to go from Minneapolis to New York City? I mean, there's a big difference. And to, then yeah, to go well, work at the restaurants that you worked in, those are that's a big move. Yeah, I mean, growing up here, you know, I, I went from here to, you know, my first taste of, of the restaurant world after Minnesota was Napa Valley. And so I lived in Napa Valley and worked at Domaine Chandon. Um, and that's, you know, to be honest with you, that was where I was exposed to so much more in those six months. It was a six-month internship than I had ever anticipated. I mean, I had not worked with farmers that closely. I had not, you know, tended a garden as much as, as much as I did there, or even crushed grapes to make wine and all the things that went with it. And, and, you know, in that, I really started to, to understand, I would say quickly, um, the drive, the passion and the tenacity that you would have to have in order to continue to excel. And, you know, at a very early age, I think I always gravitated towards mentorship and, and guidance through others. <clears throat> and what and, and what I never did is I, I, I shouldn't say never, but what I tried to not do was lean on these mentors in a way as if it was their responsibility to come up with what it is that I was supposed to be doing, but rather do what I thought was the most I could do and then go to them and say, what's next? What do I do next? Where do I have to go? And that sort of led me around the world frankly. I mean, I went from Napa Valley back to Vermont to finish school, to Switzerland, to London, to Sweden, to San Diego, and then ultimately to New York City. And, you know, what got me to New York City was was a letter. You know, I wrote Danielle a letter in 2005 requesting a one-week uh, opportunity to work for his company for free as just on my own terms. Uh, I just wanted to observe what it meant to be in a kitchen that was at the top of its game. And so I spent one week out there working, working at restaurant Danielle and somehow Danielle and I forged a friendship out of that. And, and we always stayed in touch, not a lot, but like, you know, enough where I felt comfortable to call him if I was in New York city to stop by the bar and have a glass of champagne and a couple of courses. Uh, and then ultimately taking over the chef position at Cafe Belude in 2007, you know, changed my life. And my career completely. Yeah, I would say so. That's so. Yeah. I mean, not a lot of stages get a lot of relationships out of the head chef of the restaurant, right? I mean, that's a pretty random thing to have happen. I th- I think so, but I think it's less random than what people realize. I, I, I Danielle, when I so when I resigned, when I left, <clears throat> and I moved back home, Danielle gave me that letter that I wrote to him in 2005. Wow. So I left in 2014, so nine years later, and he handed me that letter, and in the top right corner of that letter, it said to Cynthia, who was the director of human resources, to Cynthia, please hold on to resume, could be good future chef for company, DB. And he handed me that letter, wow. and, and what that told me was taking time out of your day to research a place where you want to be and presenting yourself in a way in that letter to that chef or to the owner, it goes a lot farther than what people realize. What's tough now is that there's a lot of ways to get to all of us. 
So you get a direct message on Instagram, you get a direct message on Twitter, you get a message on Facebook, you get an email an info, all these things. But I will tell you, like for me, some of the most impactful, however it comes to me, doesn't necessarily matter, but how it's delivered to me and what is said and the words that are said and how, how it's written uh, is, is very important. And it's very impactful to somebody like myself who spent a lot of time thinking about that as a young cook. You know, when I was 25 years old and I was the chef in San Diego, I would write Christmas cards to every famous chef in the country. They didn't know who I was. Okay. Nobody <laughs> Instead knew of letters who I to was. Santa. You're writing letters yeah, to chefs. <laughs> totally. And I'm like, Merry, you know, happy holidays. I hope I can cook for you someday, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, what's crazy. The first time I ever sent a letter out, Charlie Trotter got it. Okay. Wow. And, and who's passed away since then. But Charlie sent me every single cookbook he ever made. And every single one of them was signed. And it was a letter from him saying, thank you for sending me a Christmas card. Let's stay in touch. And until the day Charlie died, every time I was in a newspaper or a magazine that was national, he would send me a letter of congratulations. That's amazing. Every time without fail. Yep. It's crazy what one letter can do. People don't understand. What did it mean when, when Danielle gave you that letter back? What did that, I mean, I, I can't imagine the feeling that that would give me, like I got goosebumps when you told me that. I mean, that's, that is, that's just so sentimental. I mean, that, that, that means something. Like, the dude cared that much, saw that much in a letter that was, kept it for this long and then gave it back to me and said, it's validation. Like, I always saw this yeah. in you. It's a big thing. It is. And, I, and, I, and it, what, it, what it told me, too, was that um, as I've gotten older in my career, it's taught me to stay curious and it's taught me to be open to other opportunities and possibilities. Because I want to know who that next person is that's going to send me a letter. And I'm going to read that letter and say, yeah, let's give him a shot. Let's give her a shot. You know, let's, let's figure out if this is the right person to sort of take on this, ne this next project with us and for us. Um, and, you know, th that, that's the one thing that I always, I mean, I always say this about Danielle, but it's like, he's always such a curious individual. And that curiosity drives, um, it just drives so much freedom when you work for him it drives a lot of discipline um and it's really inspiring to like grow towards yeah i mean i'm sure the expectation is high but so is what's delivered right i mean it's mm -hmm. he's a rarity in america so are you really i mean in the in the yeah. hospitality space there's not a lot of people that fire on all cylinders all the time and yeah. you know I, th I think that's something mighty special to hang on to for sure i appreciate that Do yeah you, it's uh it's a crazy business. <laughs> yeah. Do you, uh, do you find yourself to be a fast learner? Yeah, I'm, I'm a fast learner. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I am very much an observer. It's one of the things that people probably don't necessarily know about me a lot, but I, I tend to observe a lot. I mean, I, <clears throat> I, I will tell the cooks that I work with. I mean, I literally will study them all day when they're working with us. And That's cooking not with creepy us. at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, that. That's it. Just staring at him. What are you doing? <laughs> Back there at the cappuccino that? machine, just watching someone grill all day long. <laughs> <laughs> that would give me such a creepy vibe. Um, I pull I, up a if I pull up a lawn chair, then you might want to worry. <laughs> am, I, am I getting fired? No, he's just he's just observing you. This is your 24-hour observation. You. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Did you always want to – was the dream, the goal, always to have your own place? Did, or was that something that was like – planted in you at Danielle Cafe Balloon was did, 
you know, did it always want to be an entrepreneur or did, it, did you kind of get inspired? I, I always wanted my own. Really? I always wanted, yeah, I always wanted my own. In fact, when, when I was, when I was going to leave, Daniel, when I was going to leave Cafe Blue, um, I had resigned and um, Danielle and, and we all sat down and said, you know, maybe it's not the right time. And so we figured out a new time frame um, for that to happen. And, and I think secretly, uh, but not so secretly, they were hoping that maybe I wouldn't actually want to leave <laughs> uh, if I kept staying. And, and I just remember going to him after a couple months and I just said, you know, I still have the itch. And, and he, he, he knew that he, he understood that he wasn't, he never pushed against it. Um, but I've, I've always, I've always wanted to create my own thing. Yeah. And you always yeah. wanted to do it back at home. I didn't always wanted to do it, but I didn't, I did not. I actually didn't. You know, it's funny. I don't think I ever geographically thought about where that space would be. Really? Um, yeah, because because it's not – when you're in a restaurant and you're in a kitchen, when you go to eat in that restaurant, if the restaurant is amazing and fantastic, it sort of takes you away from where you are anyways. You know, it's like when you go to a really great movie and you walk out of that movie theater – and you think displaced. it's like 11 p.m. Yeah. and it's like four o'clock in the afternoon. It's still bright outside. And you're like, oh, wait, where am I? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what restaurants do to me. And so point. I've never I've never thought to myself, like, I have to live and work in Minnesota. I have to live and work in New York. I never I've never put geography as part of a checklist for me ever in my whole life. I mean, when when my wife and I were moving from London back to the United States, she had she's from Sweden. So she had not lived here. We put a map up of the United States and we threw two darts. One hit Atlanta, Georgia. One hit San Diego, California. We moved to San Diego, California. So you've got a Zero real scientific process about how where you're going here. I may have put I may have put cardboard up in the middle of the country and said we're not going there. <laughs> Can't hit the big big spot. So yeah, what yeah. I mean, what was the draw? What made you want to come back home? So I was looking at places in New York City. I was looking at places in Southern California, and I was looking at places in Minneapolis. And when I walked into this space that is now Spoon and Stable, it, the building just said, this is it. Take the space. It's one and of the it was most, that simple. It's one of the most unassuming restaurants I've ever walked into. Because when you mm-hmm. see it from the street, it looks like this tea tiny coffee shop that you're about to walk into. And you yep. walk in and you've got these 40-foot ceilings. How high is the ceiling? Yeah, it's 20, 26 feet. It feels way it feels way higher than that. It yeah. Could be the well, it, it, to the to the skylight, it's about it, it's about thirty eight feet. To yeah. The skylight. Yeah, it feels yeah. huge. And then your your wine room and just the whole thing, the open kitchen. I mean, it's you don't feel like you're going to walk into this pristine, gorgeous place. And it's you know I, that's the one thing that I love about it. I walked in, I was like, holy crap, this place is huge. Yeah. It's beautiful. So that 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 is the exact reason why I took the space. I flew, to, I flew to Minneapolis in December. It was freezing cold, naturally. <laughs> and I walked into Spoon and Stable, which was an office building. So where the kitchen is was all cubicles. There was executive offices. There was a break room, a boardroom, all that stuff. And I walked into the space, and I was so blown away with the enormity of the inside of the building. Because to your point, I thought I was walking in something small. And after I walked through the space, I really started to love it. I went across the street and I sat on the sidewalk and I looked at the facade of the building and I thought to myself, if I take this space and build it out the way I want to build it out, I can change the perception of the guest feeling from the second they walk into the door to the second they hit the host stand. Absolutely. At that point, we can recalibrate their expectation. 
And so I wanted to take the space because of that. So did you have the name picked out before you had it? Because, I mean, I get the spoon part. You're a thief. And so you've been stealing. You've been, <laughs> you've been lifting spoons from, from places for decades now. But the stable part you found while doing Reno, right? Yeah. Yeah. Originally, the restaurant's name was Merchant when we first started. Wow. Um, a total departure. And, yep. And it was, called, it was called Merchant. And there's a restaurant in... Uh, Madison, Wisconsin called Merchant. There's a lot of restaurants around the country actually one called in Nashville Merchant. called Merchants. Yep. Um, and there's only one restaurant in, in the country in New Orleans that has trademarked the font of the name Merchant. But the name Merchant is too generic of a name for the U.S. government to allow you to trademark it. So the Madison restaurant reached out to us and basically said, you can't call it Merchant. That's our restaurant. There's confusion, et cetera, et cetera. And rather than really putting up a fight or even getting into it. I'm like, okay, let's change the name. And I have an, I have another secret obsession, which is I buy a ton of domain names. I think of a restaurant <laughs> name. I buy a domain name. Dude, I own How many so do you many own? domain names. How many do you think um, you own? I I'm sure I'm North of 120 still. Oh and gosh. that's probably, and I have probably cleaned it up since then. What's um, the most obscure Oh, I have no idea. Dude, I, buy, I think of the most stupidest names. And I, actually, you know what the most obscure one is? My last name is Kaysen, right? So whenever, whenever anybody makes like a very specific point, they say Kaysen Points, oh, right? Well, if you say Kaysen Points, imagine like a hot dog stand. Kaysen Point hot dogs. Uh, that's actually not a bad idea. I like it. Uh, do, you like, do you wake up at like 2 o'clock in the morning to go to the bathroom and be like, I got a new name? I got a new name. Get on GoDaddy real fast. Buy the domain name. <laughs> it's like ten bucks. Your you know? wife's like, "What are you doing?" Like, Shh, go back to bed. I'm buying another domain. That's just got so many. That's hilarious. How did you uh, go about uh, like getting the financing for your first restaurant? I mean, that's a that's a big scary thing, especially with Reno and the whole. I mean, yeah. hiring Reno marketing inventory of liquor, wine, beer, food. That's a big. That's a big nut. Like how did you how yeah. did you how did you finance that? So um, we yeah so we have we have a, including myself there are twelve investors uh, in the company, and I put together a full business plan. Um, I never showed um, I never showed financials in that business plan, uh, but rather was selling what the concept of the space was going to be. Because listen, at the end of the day, it's so funny with in, with investments because. Uh, I'm sure we're all guilty of it at some point. You see something and you're like, oh, if you ever do this, like I definitely would love to give you some money. And then they come around and they ask you for money and you're like, ah, maybe not. I don't have any and cash. You kinda, <laughs> yeah, you're like, you know what? I think I forgot my wallet. It's in my other pants. That's it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ghost you. Um, <laughs> and that happens a lot with investors and especially in the restaurant business because what is so, what is su such an altering experience for our business is people walk into your restaurant and it's packed, sold out for a month. Everyone's at the bar. You naturally walk in and say, this place is printing money. Well, it's not. But if there's an extra printer and somebody wants to give it to me, let me know. <laughs> and that's great. where investors will come in and say, you know, hey, I'd love to invest. So I put together a business plan and I spent one full day in Minnesota meeting with investors one after the other all throughout the day that I had set up previously. And one of our main key key holder, key, key investors, uh, was my last meeting of the day. I think he said yes. And then he helped bring in kind of the rest of the group to round everybody out. And then we put the terms together and the term sheet was put together and 
Um, that was all signed off. And then I signed the lease in March. I resigned from, from Cafe Balloon around the same time. I moved out here in, I think, June or July of that year. And we opened up Spoon and Stable in November. Game on. Yeah, crazy. Did you have a relationship with the primary investor beforehand? Or did, was it a kind of a random? No, no I didn't. My, my, my dad knew him through business. Um, but I, but, and, and his, one of his sons is in our business is in the restaurant world. Um, and so his, his other son who, who I knew, uh, he and I became sort of business partners on the whole thing. So, um, no, I hadn't really known them before. And it was, it was, it was a crazy experience. You know, I remember walking out of there and being like, there's no way they're going to invest. <laughs> I totally blew and it. the next yeah, and the next day he's like, all right, we got the money. Let's go. And I'm like, okay, let's go. It's one of those things um, where you go back to your apartment or your hotel and you're like running the entire conversation through your head. Oh, I definitely shouldn't yeah. have said that. Oh, that was that yeah. was just bad. Yeah. Well, well and I think off. too what's what listen, it took me I mean, I it's not that I worked at it every day, but it still took me like two years to find money. Yeah. That's a you lot know? of work. That's a long time. So it's, it's a long time. I mean, it was not overnight, that's for sure. Did you I think, think people it wasn't gonna this, happen? Um, you know, I never really, I never really put a lot of pressure on myself to like make it happen at a certain time. I just figured it was going to happen when the timing was right. And I knew, I I knew that, like, I just knew when, when it needed to happen, it was going to happen. I mean, I, I was, I was always more concerned about leaving Cafe Balloon on the best terms possible than I was about finding money to build my own restaurant. Leaving Cafe Balloon was far more important to me. Um, and making sure that my, my legacy there basically was, was intact and respected and that I left him, Danielle and his company with a team that was far better than how I inherited it. That says um, a lot about and, you. And that, that was always my goal, no matter what. And I knew that we would find money at some point to build a restaurant. You know, selflessness is not a very common practice in today's world. And so that, yeah. that says, well, it, it says a lot about you and the way you value other people and really, I mean, the, the entire way that you've built your company is based off of that level of concern and care and hospitality towards, you know, the stranger next to you. And that's, yeah, it means a lot. You know, I think it's cool. Um, the let's talk about Demi. Yeah. This tiny little place that has made me probably one of the top five cocktails I've ever had before. And so yeah. much so that when I uh, came back to Murfreesboro, to Dallas and Jane, I literally ripped it off and I called it the Minnesota twin. Uh, nice. and it was, a, it was great. I, I, it was definitely not the same, but, and I can't even remember what was in it anymore. I had, uh, I can't remember anymore. It was delicious. I think it might've had bee pollen in it. It was great. Is this place going to get a Michelin star? Cause it needs one. Yeah. You know, so I mean, the, 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 the real issue is Michelin doesn't come to Minnesota. What? Nope. I don't understand this this organization. They don't come to the South. They don't apparently nope. go to Minnesota. Why are they hand? Why are they picking these states that they go to? Uh, I th- I mean, you know, if you recall, well, I mean, Michelin was started through, you know, as a tire company, and the whole point was like you travel around the country of France, you eat at all these places we say eat at, and stay at the hotels we say stay at, and hopefully burn your tires out and buy a new pair in a year. <laughs> um, <clears throat> So I, it's obviously evolved a lot since then. Yes. But yeah, I mean, the closest to us is Chicago. So it's Chicago, New York, California as a whole state. Um, but look, even in even in Illinois, they only do Chicago. I mean, in New York, 
there was a time in which Blue Hill Stone Barns, which is 45 minutes outside of the city, didn't get reviewed. But now, but now they're part of the program. Right. Um, I mean, it would be great to see Michelin take on more of a, you know, more of a presence in the South and in the Midwest. And even if they did it as, you know, hey, I'm going to do six states in the South as one book. I'm going to do five states in the Midwest as one book. And, you know, if that's Illinois, Minnesota, Wisconsin, whomever, um, it would be awesome. And I think, I think Demi would, I think Demi could, could, could run for something. Without a doubt. Be there. And that's because we just threw it out there and we just want to, we want people to feel as though they don't all sell out in 30 seconds, but what we put out there sells out very quickly. Yeah. I mean, I've looked an hour after you've put, like I'll, I'll see your post a little bit late and it's like, I'm just going to randomly check. Cause I'll, I will fly my happy butt right back up to Minneapolis just yeah. to eat dinner and fly back. And it's like all sold out. Well, all yeah. right. guess I'm eating, yeah. guess I'm eating five guys, burger and fries again tonight. Dang it. Um, what is your, what is, what is the love of pastries that you have and where did that come from? And, and let me also state, your pastry team is fantastic and every, yeah. everything that Diane has done and everybody and is Alex, is it Alex? Yeah. Uh, yeah. They've got tons of talent and it's so yeah. delicious and it's beautiful to look at. Let's talk about Belcor. How did that happen? Yeah. I mean, the, you know, that team's incredible. The, the, the Belcor bakery, Diane's now fully in charge over there with all of that. So she's moved a hundred percent exclusively into the bakery brand with the cooks of Crocus Hill partnership and we're opening a new one of those in St. Paul awesome. in a, in about a month, maybe a little bit less, but about a month from now. And so, you know, she's, she has worked with Alex Motts and Alex is our pastry chef at Spoon and Stable. Kenzie, who is at Demi, who actually is now also does savory. She has pastry background and she did pastries at Belcour as well. So we, we kind of lean on her for a lot of that over there as well. I did pastries when I lived in Switzerland when I was 21 years old. I, I moved to Switzerland to work in the restaurant, but the only person who spoke English was in the pastry department, and I didn't speak any <laughs> French. Sticking you over there. <laughs> so they're like, well, I guess you're going to go work pastries. And I'm like, great, because I know nothing about tempering chocolate. I know nothing about how to make bread, and I don't know why the cheese stinks so bad for the <laughs> cheese platter, but I'm, I'm ready to learn everything. Is it supposed to be blue? Yeah, it's like you walk in, you're like, wow, who didn't shower today? Like, no, it's just, it's just the cheese. It's the blue cheese, you, you stupid American. <laughs> just screaming at me. Uh, it was, uh, but I, I, I love pastries. I, what I love about it is, is the precision. Um, I love the fact that, you know, we, we have always as a company invested in our pastry department. That's, and, that's obvious. We, Yep. And we've always put, we've always invested in it and I believe in it so wholeheartedly. Um, I just feel as though if you're going to come and work for us, we want this to be as close to sort of a culinary school effect for you as it can possibly, possibly be. So if you want to learn how to, you know, sheet out dough and make vinoiserie, then go over to the bakery and train with Diane on how to do that. If you want to learn how to do plated desserts for up to 250 people on a night, then stay at Spoon and Stable with Alex. And if you want to do very, very like precision focused pastries, but you're also going to have to do savory at Demi, then there's an opportunity there too. So, you know, we're, we're one of the companies in this community that, that invests heavily into pastries. And I just think it's part, it is part of the experience all too often. It's easy to cut things like that out. And yeah. I, I just don't like it. 
Yeah, Kenzie posted a picture of y'all had some sort of a strawberry cake that you posted a picture of a few weeks back. I said, I was like, do you need my address? I'm not, you know, I'll pay for shipping. She was like, I don't think this would handle very well on a FedEx box. I said, I'm willing to take the risk. Even if it shows up looking like it was blended, I'm sure it would taste fantastic. I'm all in. You're just, you're, you're like licking the side of the styrofoam box. <laughs> just trying to get all the strawberries off as possible. Yeah. So uh, how has it been for you managing and balancing three concepts and family life? And I mean, you're the owner, so there's no shutoff button. And so you've got two boys, correct? Yep. And, yep. and a beautiful wife and you're running yourself ragged and you've got all these things going on. How do you find, how do you find time to manage it all? Well, I mean, I do, I do spend a lot of time um, thinking through, you know, what that balance kind of means for me. I mean, my day, my day starts, I get up around six in the morning uh, and I grab a coffee. I sit, I meditate. I, I have my own time and my own like routine to get my day going. I'm, I'm very disciplined about going to the gym uh, four day, at least four days a week. Um, I usually go Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Wednesdays are kind of my break days, but I'm always, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday are my strong days there. You know, and I, and I spend a lot of time that I'm also very disciplined about leaving the restaurants at night when I'm ready to go. And so I like to be able to sleep when I want to sleep. And I just sort of like have learned to listen to my body yeah. when it says you're done and you need to like move on. Uh, because to your point, there is no on and off button. It's not like I go home and turn it off and then wake up the next day and say, oh, I'll turn it on when I get in at 1030 this morning. It's like it's on at 6 a.m. Yeah. So, you know, it's I, I've, I've never spent a lot of time focusing on trying to find that balance because I actually don't believe for me it doesn't exist. The idea of balancing work and life is a rhetorical question because work is my life and life is my work. Right. And so when I, when I, when I realize that the attachments of trying to find that balance actually hinders my growth, I release the attachment out of my life. And I say, just when you are here, be as present as you can possibly be. There's some, we have some incredible people and, and, and I will tell you, COVID has 100% done this for our company. We are a better company today than we were 15 months ago. There's no doubt in my mind. We, there's a woman named Allison Arth who has a company called Salt and Row who does a lot of executive coaching yep. with a lot of our team members. Um, and we all went through so much with COVID and all of the management team stayed on payroll and we all stayed worked together through the whole thing. And we, came, we became very close as a group um, but we've tested each other. They've tested me in ways that they probably still don't understand. Um, but you know, being present with one another has been very important. Being vulnerable with one another has been, has been very important and understanding that, you know, listen, if you need to leave at eight o'clock because your son or daughter has a baseball game and you really want to get there, if the schedule allows you to do that, then do it. You know, I mean, there are days, I mean, Alex, there are days where like my son would have a baseball game at seven 30 and I'll look and it's like the restaurant is packed. Okay. Everybody on the station is busy. They're all full. They don't need me. I'm going to go to the baseball game. Good and if you. I can just have those one off moments, that to me is enough for balance, right. you know, and for me to take a step back and say, okay, that's important to me. And I went after it. Well, congratulations on being the third entrepreneur out of 15 that has agreed with my idea of what balance is. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that there really is one. I don't think if you're going to have something that's massively successful that 
there's an on switch and an off switch. I just think it's it's on. And I'm not saying that family has to suffer, but you pick the quality moments over the quantity moments sometimes. I mean, me sitting at home with them while they're on their Xbox, that's not really quality time. But us right. going to swim lessons or doing something actively together, that's making memories and being present in their lives. And so there's you just sometimes you just have to pick. And yeah. you know, and 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 my wife and I have had the conversation of and you've probably had this conversation with your wife. I'm just going to assume, but where they sometimes feel like they're not a priority. And, mm-hmm. and I've tried to equate it to you're the most important priority, but sometimes priorities shift. And I know that she's able to keep the ship at home on a straight path, whether or not I'm there. But if the ship starts to go down, I will immediately abandon whatever I'm doing to try to go correct that ship. When, when my wife and I were dating, <clears throat> we had dinner uh, in, in New York and we were with um, the Academy Culinaire de France. And it was basically a room filled with some of the best French chefs on planet Earth and all of their spouses. Okay, And the, me- the medium age was probably 75 years old and then us. And I was 25. Look at this young whippersnapper over here. Yeah, exactly. And th- th- we were sitting next to a chef named Jean-Jacques Dietrich and Jean-Jacques and his wife. And there was another couple of, another, we were a group of six, right? In any event, the, the, the Jean-Jacques wife looked at my wife and said, so you're going to marry him, even though he wants to be a chef. She said, you have to understand what that means. What it means is you're not going to have nights, you're not going to have weekends, and you likely won't have holidays. What it also means is, which nobody will tell you, is that the same amount of love, passion, and tenacity that he puts into his work he will do equally to you. Just have to understand that it's just not going to come on nights, weekends, or holidays. Right. And I thought that that was a really clear way to like put it. Like, my balance is being able to be able is being able to be at the restaurant because cooking, and being at the restaurant and serving others makes me a happier human being to go home and be happier. Right. And if I can't have both, I can't have both. I can't do one without the other, basically. Yeah. It's good that you know that about yourself, though. I mean, it's introspection is a is a hard thing, and to to learn like I need this to be a better version of myself. That's important because a lot of people just say, "Ah, eh, to hell with that. Yeah. I won't worry about that." Like for me, that's important. But like exercise, I know myself. I know if I don't go to the gym, I'm not going to be clear headed. I'm not going to have I'm not going to have any energy for the day. I'm going to be an overall grumpy person. But yep. If I can do that, if I can exert that effort and that energy, then I'm going to be clear-headed and ready to go. And I'm going to be able to love my family more and play with my boys more and, you know, annoy my wife more and, you know, tickle her more, which she hates more than anything. She's she's like, I'm going to cut that gym membership. (laughs) (laughs) She wants it. She just wants me to look better naked, I'm sure. I wish I hadn't said that out loud. Um, I've got so many pages of information on you trying to like filter through it all um Bocos de Or, are you still doing that yeah so we took we took this year off because of everything going on with COVID it was going to be too hard that they are competing in Lyon in um September but we all felt as the organization for Team USA that the effort to get the team to go and the capacity in which we believe they should go in we just didn't have the we didn't have the resources to do it while we're all 
collectively trying to get our businesses back up and running. Yeah. Um, so we took a hiatus this year and then we, we plan to go back to it when, when, when we're allowed next year. I bought the, uh, the, the cookbook from, mm-hmm. uh, it's like reading organic chemistry to me. And I'm yeah. like, I'm yeah. not a, I'm not a complete moron when it comes to food, but the, some of the things like that one carrot dish with the pretzel spiral. Yeah. I don't even know how this comes into your brain. And I mean, it's, well, that's, it's that's and, Matt Peters dish. I mean, Matt, and I'll tell you, Matt Peters. So that book chasing Boku. So Philip Tessier yep. won silver in 2015. And then Matt Peters who won gold in 2017, both Thomas Keller alums, Matt spent a majority of his time at per se. Philip spent a majority of his time, all of his time in Yonville between Bouchon and French laundry. <clears throat> though, though, I mean, both of those, those gentlemen are just unbelievable technicians. Um, and I, I, I think that carrot dish, I think that carrot dish came up, you know, as like a, as like a side dish for Matt. I mean, the guy is so hyper creative. Here's your New York what, strip and this carrot right. that took me 13 days to make. <laughs> and what's, what's crazy is Martin Castor from Crucial Detail. Oh yeah. That guy's worked, crazy. Who, yeah. So he created basically the world's longest pencil sharpener to attach to a KitchenAid, which makes the carrot look the way it looks. That guy can, can build some stuff. I mean, does he work it's with Alinea? He does Alinea stuff? He, yeah, I don't know how much of Alenia stuff he does now, but that when he started when he started to get in all of our world, it was because he was doing all that stuff with Grant at Alenia. And his wife, Laura, she photographed the Alenia cookbook. Yeah, those, those vessels that he makes, I mean – their food's really Crazy. cool anyway, but when you give someone a canvas like that, I mean, it just amplifies it times 100. It's just, it's wild. It's insane. All right, yep, so insane. we're going to get into the, the sad part of our podcast here. We discussed the global pandemic that changed <laughs> everything. Um, and there's a really kind of a lot to cover for you. And so let's start with your cooking classes first. This is an amazing idea. And so when COVID first hit, I did like a, a Facebook live cooking class for 45 days straight called Cooking and Cocktails with Corona. Uh, I got, you almost smiled there. The name was kind of, I love it. the name was a little cheesy, it. a little on the nose. But uh, I mean, I got a few sponsorships. It was fun to do. I kind of had a hard time coming up with enough content to film live and to actually be able to, to nail on camera because you know you you don't want to unvalidate yourself by let me show you how to make this pasta okay so we've got a clump of flour here did not (laughs) turn out what we're gonna make one big noodle uh so we had to come up with content but you are effectively letting people sign up you're shipping them the ingredients and then you're doing this zoom class where you teach them all and i almost feel like this was your way of you didn't have a dining room moment you didn't have an ability to go talk to people, but now you are still able to connect with people. So what inspired this to happen and is it going to continue? So Kylie Pertel, who's now our director of all things that are GK at home, <clears throat> she was in charge of all private dining uh, prior to the pandemic hitting. And a majority of, uh, you know, she, she would, she would, a majority of her business was all when the restaurants were open and when the restaurants closed, her world was over in terms of business. And so we, she was great at helping us do what we needed to do for takeout and whatever. And 
I don't necessarily remember exactly when this idea originated, but I do remember her taking the idea and absolutely sprinting with it. And so we did our first cooking class. We did it at Andrew Zimmern's studio, which is local to us here. And we did paella. And Alex, I think 150 people may have showed up to that first class. Wow. We didn't ship any ingredients at that time. At that time, we we're like, hey, we're just going to do it right. and see what happens. Just see if people show up. So we got about 150 people to join the class, which was remarkable. And then we said, well, a lot of the feedback that we were getting was, I wish we could buy these ingredients from you. So we said, okay, well, the next class, let's just sell the ingredients to them. So the next classes, we would sell 200 boxes of ingredients. And that was, the, that was our cap. We could have sold more, but we were like, that's all we can produce because- It's a lot to procure. A, yeah, and, and we also didn't have a team. So- yeah. Um, you know, there was, there was, there was nobody here. And, and so we did 200 boxes of food. And so by our third class, we were selling 200 boxes of food per class and we were getting anywhere from 600 to a thousand people to join the zoom classes. Wow. And so we saw the growth happen very, very quickly. And, and to your point, what it allowed me to do was it allowed me to connect with an audience of people, a large scale audience of people who honestly didn't actually know who I was, even though they were regulars in the restaurant and I've said hello to them that many times or I've stopped by their table. It's different when you're cooking with somebody for an hour long and I have a microphone and I can say, hey, today was a really, really shitty day. And let me tell you why. This is what happened today in our restaurant business. My trash expenses went up 8%. And so that's going to really change. Whatever it is, whatever right. I wanted to talk about. Yeah, you have a platform. I had a platform and I could talk to them about that. And, it, and, and, and then it created a community, a community of people that would show up to pick up their food and they would get to know one another picking up their food, even though they didn't know each other before during COVID. And they'd say, oh, you're going to do that. Zoom. Let's all Zoom together. Okay. And, we'll, and then after the class is over, let's get oh, on this out. separate Zoom call and let's, let's hang out. So are they picking and, up the boxes from the restaurant? Yeah. Yeah. They come to Spoon and they pick up all the food from Spoon. That's a lot and to put so, together. I mean, it really is to weigh out all the spices crazy. and ingredients. I mean, good God, yeah. that's a lot of yeah. work. So Chris Nye, who's, who you know, who's yep. our executive chef, Chris kind of runs and spearheads the whole culinary side of it. And Kylie helps run everything else. We have a great partner in Clay Johnston from Sprung Media, who he produces all the shows for us. So we went from like, you know, a one camera feed to a three camera feed to a switchboard and everyone's got, you know, headsets on and, wow. and, and mic'd up. And like, it's now we have our own set. We've partnered with William Sonoma. So our set is fully furnished by William Sonoma. There's a sweepstakes that people could win over $3,000 worth of product. That's free from Jeez, William Sonoma. Dude, this is amazing. Uh, yeah. I mean, partnered with all clad. I mean, it's just been remarkable. And, and Libby Anderson, who's not with us anymore, but Aaron Kinchelow, who's now taken over the director of communications, both of them helped really push the social media side of it and the communication side of it. And so, yeah, it's going to stay. I mean, we did it all through the pandemic. I have one class left in the summer series, and then we're going to take the month of August off, and then we're going to regroup and we're going to do a whole new fall series. We, Kylie and I actually went over it all today. Uh, what the fall series is going to look like. And so we're just going to keep going. That's amazing. And these, these are yeah, they're so much fun. They're intricate recipes too. It's not just like salmon and rice. I mean, you're actually like right. 
Beef Wellington, and I mean, you're doing yeah. you're doing the thing. It's amazing. I, I love watching it. I think it's so cool. I, it's a bit far for me to drive to pick up a box of ingredients, but uh, maybe I'll tune in. Okay, you got you got purveyors down there. They can get it for you. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Um, are y'all still catering for the hockey team? Yep. So we're we we partnered. We're still cooking for the Minnesota Wild, the Timberwolves, and the Lynx. So the men's basketball Jeez. team, the women's basketball team, and the hockey team. That's amazing. We're only right now. It's uh, men's combine and women's basketball. Although they are going on an Olympic break soon, so they won't be back until August. Um, and then we're re-upping uh, our deal with the Minnesota Wild currently. So awesome. yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm asking you really fast questions because I feel like I'm. I know you have things to do. Um, are you ever going to write a cookbook? Yeah. You know, in fact, I think we're working on one. I mean, we are working on one right now that has been born from the GK at home experience. That's very smart. Yeah. We have found these, this audience to be so engaged with what we're doing and we're testing out the recipes on a daily. Yeah. What's your, what's your return rate for the GK at home people? I mean, do you get the same people that do each class? Yeah, so they can buy the whole series. Okay. Um, and they and so we get a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people every week that are like, we've taken all 15 of your cooking classes. We That's just amazing. want you to keep doing them. We say, we just want you to keep buying them. <laughs> so we'll keep doing you them. You keep buying, I'll keep doing. That's right. That's, That's right. That's amazing. Um, let's see. So you, there's been a mindset for as long as I've been in this industry that this is not an industry that is a career. It is a college career you know it's enough i'll make some i'll serve tables on the weekends i'll make some cash i'll blow through it i'll do whatever man i just i cook here but i'm really in aerospace program at my college or or whatever you you have taken that idea and just shot it out the window i mean you've you've you want to say no this is a career like you can find a career a lifelong career and happiness in the restaurant industry what are some of the changes that you have made in the last year that have kind of helped help change the, that mindset. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, you know, it's a profession, right? I mean, we've, we, we've, we've always been coined an in industry. Um, and, and we are, we are a trade industry in that regard. We are a craft based industry. Um, but I see it as a profession. I mean, I grew up, my father wore a business suit every single day to work and I consider my chef coats, my business, my business suit. Um, I mean, listen, I personally, I earn my coats and aprons every single weekend. Uh, and I, I, I do it with pride. I love it. I have fun doing it. And, and I've been doing it ever since I was 18 years old when I could iron a chef coat. And listen, I, for, for me, I think a lot of what makes this, a lot of what I think needs to, to be professionalized in what we do starts with, 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 with who we are and what we say. We spend hours every single night taking care of hundreds of strangers and giving them what we would consider to be top-notch hospitality and care. At what point do you realize that if you're not doing that for the person that's standing next to you, to the left and to the right of you, you know, what is truly then your purpose? Right. And, you know, in our business, in our company, five days after the pandemic hit, we created a nonprofit organization called Heart of the House. It's a 501c3 organization. That was my next um, question. So thank you for that transition. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And I, I called a friend of mine who I sit on a board with in New York City and I saw Danny Meyer created a 501c3. And I, I called Sean and I said, hey, Sean, I saw Danny created this. How do I do it? And he said, well, I created it for Danny so I can just do yours. I said, great. 
And what that did to me is that that it gave anybody who wanted to donate money to the cause gave it legitimacy. <clears throat> number one, number two, it's a tax write-off. And what that helped us do is it helped bridge the gap financially for our team members during the COVID time. Yeah. Now that organization will live and continue to live. And we're in the process now to figure out how that will continue to live. How do we want to have that continue to give back to our team? You know, we've removed, we've removed tipping from our restaurants. It was never part of Demi, but we removed really? it from Spoon and Stable and we just do a hospitality charge. Uh, that gives a lot of um, a lot of pay equity across the board for our entire team. Our cooks can make more. Our service team can make more. Our hot, our dishwashers can make more. It also creates more transparency. And what it also does is it gives you an actual wage. And so here's the thing: we we have a 401k program. Okay, we match dollar for dollar up to 25 percent if you participate in our 401k. That's a big match. If you are, it's a big match. If you are if you are a server and you are paid minimum wage plus tips, the only wage you are allowed to claim on your 401k is the minimum wage. You can't Not claim the plus tips. tips. No. Why? You do a hot, that's, a, that's a tax that's, question I don't need to ask. That's, yep, that's just the law. If you have a hospitality charge, and you pay somebody minimum wage plus a hospitality charge, and your wage is $40 an hour, they can claim now it. you can claim $40 an hour as your wage, and your, your rate your rate to have more money towards retirement is now increased. Yeah. I will. Okay. So one of the things I love, I love musicals. Okay. <clears throat> in Hamilton, there's a, there's a line in Hamilton's musical. It says legacy is when you plant the seed in the garden, but you don't have time to watch it grow. That to me is this 401k program. Will I see these people retire? Probably not. Will this help them in their retirement? I absolutely know it will. That's great. And I, <clears throat> I really would, I'm going to annoy you after this podcast at some point and ask you how the whole tipping thing goes. Cause I'm, I'm very interested in knowing how to do that. Cause it's tipping is so antiquated and just, it's, nah, it's just terrible. Um, yeah. what are you doing something for the four seasons? Is that correct? <clears throat> yeah. So we partnered with the four seasons and United properties. They're opening a brand new hotel here in Minneapolis, about three blocks from spoon and stable. Uh, it's a multi-use building, so it's 14 floors of office towers, eight floors of hotel, which is 220 rooms, and then four floors of residential. We're building the we're building the um, bar lounge, the restaurant, and a cafe. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I'm sure exciting. that food will be delicious for a hotel for sure. Yeah, no, I'm really excited to get it going. It's going to be amazing. We, you know, we didn't have anything else going on, so we thought we would just tack <laughs> yeah. that on. Just, let's just open three more things. Who cares? Do yeah. You, do you have like five more minutes? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, what's been your hardest learned lesson? In the last year? No, I would say in business in ownership. General. Yeah. Um, I think the hardest learned lesson is always to be able to admit when you're wrong. Did you have a hard time with that we, at the beginning? Oh, yeah, for sure. Because it was ego. And, I, and, and, and you know, I, I think the, the reality is, is that when, when you grow up in any, in any profession, you know, the, the, the leader is the expert. Um, but when the expert's wrong, um, you know, you have to understand that that doesn't actually deal doesn't give you any sort of, it doesn't move away your legitimacy, right? What it does is it actually humanizes you. And once you start to humanize yourself to your team, uh, you actually end up getting a better bond and, 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 and more of a buy-in from them because you're saying, listen, I'm sorry, I screwed up. I made a mistake. We should have done it this way. You were right. I was wrong. What can we do to fix it now? Um, and I, I think it's, I think it's hard as a chef because we're so ego driven. It's hard for us to get over the fact that we could possibly be wrong. 
Um, and I only say chef because it's all I know. Right. Um, but, but I, I know a lot of CEOs out there that, that will say that. Reminds me of the, uh, the moment in Batman and Superman where Ben Affleck goes, do you bleed? It's like, you know, I mean, but seeing, seeing someone bleed makes you realize, you know, it's even in Rocky. He ain't a machine. Yeah. He ain't a machine. Yeah. Like he's yeah. you cut him. He's bleeding. So you know that you yeah. can win and you can beat him. Um, let's see. I already know your stance on mentorship and advisors. And I think you're one of the few that, that I know that believe in it and really, really push for it. Um, yeah. I was, I tried to engage in a relationship with a guy a few years ago and he was like, what do you want to know about me? And I was like, it's, I don't want to know anything ab- about you. I'm just trying to pick your brain, spend some time with you. And he's like, this is a little weird for me. I'm like, okay, hmm. well, this is not going to work out then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what, um, what are some of the biggest mistakes that, uh, you see other restaurant owners make? Well, I think a lot of... <clears throat> I think a lot of it for me that I always see is that you have to listen to what it is that your guests are saying. And in order to do that, you have to be on the floor and you have to work the room and you have to talk to people. Um, you know, and, and, and often I think what happens is, is you walk into a restaurant and the restaurant is built for the way that it is for whatever reason and why it's built. Um, but often what, what gives you the most remarkable experience of that space might not actually have everything to do with what's inside of the restaurant, but in the environment in which has been created. You know, and I, I think that we, we try to put a lot of care and effort into that environment of what people are around and what they see. And so often when I see people make, when I see restaurant tours or owners make mistakes, sometimes they don't even know that it's a mistake that, that, that it's there. Um, and so you have to say something or talk to them about it or shoot them a text or say, Hey, I was in last time and this happened. And I think you should just be made aware. Um, and, and I think often we need to do that more with each other yep. and kind of be honest with each other. Um, because it would make us all better yeah, <laughs> as a result sure. versus feeling like, Oh, I have a competitive advantage over Alex because he's doing this and I'm not doing that. And he's doing it wrong and I'm doing it right. It's like, it's not really how it goes. I mean, I, I, I tell people all the time, if, if restaurants are opening around me, they'll say, oh, well, are you worried about the competition? I say, I invite the competition. I mean, the more restaurants you have around us, the more energy and people yeah. it brings to the neighborhood. It's yeah. all good, you know? Yeah, I agree. I've talked to guests before that they have had an experience. It wasn't up to what they were expecting. You know, the steak was off, the whatever i mean food's very subjective so mm-hmm. you know my what i like you might not and so you know you have to talk to them how was everything it was great five seconds before they hit their car there's a, a negative review online and you're like man i just talked to them like i wish you would have you're not going to hurt my feelings and they and i've asked people you know why didn't you come talk to me about your experience these some of these would be friends it's like well I didn't want to, I didn't want to bother you or I didn't want to, I didn't want to disturb you or I feel weird getting in confrontations. And I'm like, listen, I can't fix it if I don't know it's a problem and you're not going to hurt my feelings. If the steak is not prepared the way that you want it, my job is to make it the way you want it. If you want it well done with a side of tangy ketchup, then I'm going to bring out some Heinz 57 and I'm going to, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it red. You know, I'm going to do, I'm going to do my best, but it's, it's good to have those hard, honest conversations, but a lot of people steer away from those things. They're anti-confrontational or they feel like ego, pride, and humility all gets in the way. Well, and I think, I think that's where, I think that's where it's our job 
um, to, to again, go back and observe and watch, watch people watch, watch when they're eating, watch their body language. I mean, we have, we have, so we have these tables that are right in front of the past, the twenties, 22, 23, 24. And they're small tables that fit two people. Okay. <clears throat> I can tell you once a week, it happens where we'll walk a couple to that table and the husband will sit down because he thinks it's a great table, not paying attention to his wife or girlfriend at all. And she's looking around like, I don't want to sit at this table. And he shouldn't want to sit at this table. But she reluctantly sits down at the table because he hasn't picked up on it. Okay? Now. Her experience is already my, bad. It's already bad. Yeah. So it's a, it is now our job to intervene and say, hey, you know what? We have another table that just opened up right over there. It's a little bit more spacious. Would the two of you like that table? Not you might Listen, you might love this table. And immediately her response would be like, you know, that'd be great. Thanks so much. Now you've avoided this confrontation, you've avoided her having a bad experience and, and, and bottling that up inside. And now you've actually given them something above and beyond. And at the end of the day, our job to what you just said is to go above and beyond and to do what it is that we need to be able to do it, what it is that we can do to go above and beyond. Will we fail at times? Probably every single day. Yep. We will fail at that every single day. No doubt about it, but it doesn't mean we're not going to give it every single effort to go above and beyond. So are you, this is an interesting question, do you look for people that can read people to hire them? Because, I mean, it takes takes a pretty observant person to notice or to pick up on the fact that this person is obviously displaced or not very happy about the situation, Mm -hmm. and then to proactively fix fix it. That's not your normal average human being. And so do you? No, you got to train it. You got to teach it a little bit. Okay. You know, I mean, you have to pick, I think you have to, I think you have to, I mean, at the end of the day, you have to hire people that have that kind bone. Yeah. And and that kind bone in their body of like, put yourself in their position. Yeah. Would you want to sit there? Would you want to be, if if you, if you wouldn't want to be there or if you feel like you wouldn't want to be there, you know, maybe, maybe try another table. And there's some people that sit down at at those tables. They're like, this is the best table in the house. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad you moved. This is my favorite table. Yeah. What do you think the future looks like for restaurants? That's a big question. Um, I mean, I think, I think now you're starting to see a lot of changes and you'll, we will continue to live them. Um, I mean, the restaurant world as you and I know it changed March 15th, 2020. Yep. And it's, and it's, and it's, and it's, I don't believe it will ever go back to what it once was. And I think that that's actually a good thing. Um, I think there is going to be continued amounts of transparency in restaurant world. I think that that will be on a lot of levels. I think the guests will see more transparency that they might not want to. I think the, the staff members will see more transparency. The owners will have to give more transparency. Um, I think you'll see more um, community-based programming. I think you'll see more uh, – I think you'll see less charitable gives to nothing – and more focused charitable gives to people and places and opportunities that mean more to that individual and to those restaurants. Um, And so I think there's a lot that's going to continue to change. Change for the better. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have to, right? I mean, we have to, the whole point is to get better. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a rough environment for many, many decades. I mean, it's, I don't know many people that are my age or a little bit older that are like, man, it was really easy learning how to be a cook. You know, I got, I got a I got a ripping hot skillet smashed on my hand one time because I burned a crab cake. That doesn't yeah. work anymore. 
Nowadays, yeah. you'll have a server being like, it's going on TikTok. It's going on TikTok. Yeah. Do it again, yeah. chef. Chef, smash his hand again. It's like, yeah. yeah. I didn't get it. I didn't get it on video. Those days are gone, though, which is probably a good thing. It is sure. a good thing. I'm not sure they ever really should have been around, but they were around. Definitely not. Um, what are what are maybe two of the best decisions that you've made from a business standpoint to get your business to where it is now? Uh, I'd say the 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 easiest answer right off the bat is that I allow myself to fail, and I'm okay with understanding <clears throat> what that looks like and feels like, and then how to get how to get through through that. And then I think the other thing that allows success is by trusting the people that are with you and work next to you on a daily basis. You know, you can't sit here and say to them over and over again, you know, Hey, I'm here for you and all these things. And all of a sudden when they're actually here for you, you're not trusting them. You have to be able to trust that. Yeah. That's definitely important. And I mean, able to delegate and give them responsibility and not hoard it all for yourself. Super important. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, What are, uh, what are three things that you can't live without? I only got two more questions for you. Three things I can't live without. Like you, I, I, I definitely cannot live without exercise and or, and, and or meditation. I think both of those are very important part of my life uh, that, are very, that are needed. Um, you know, my, my family, for sure, especially my two boys that are 9 and 12 and just nuts. Crazy. <clears throat> Full-on crazy. Just not, I mean, if my 9-year-old's got pants on in the morning, that's a good start to the day. <laughs> You know, yeah, oh, no, no, no pants on four, reading the so. sports section. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, exactly right. You know, and my wife comes down and she's like, why don't you have pants on? I'm like, oh, wait, sorry. I'm working on it. I'm joining the um, club here. This is the no pant club. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's amazing. What's yeah. the other thing that I probably, you know, I mean, the other thing I probably can't live without, uh, just humor life life as it is and just being able to like take a step back every once in a while and laugh at yourself and yeah. laugh at the people that are around you and things like that i mean you know we're so we're so focused on taking life so so damn seriously all the time and you know while while yeah it's really serious like you gotta you gotta have fun too i know? fully believe There's, in self-deprecating humor i mean listen yeah. i'm gonna laugh at myself before you can that's that's for yeah. sure i mean there's there's a lot of really great books out there Um, you know, we work so much with sports teams, but it's like, if you look at the sports dynasties that do as well as they do, they have fun. Yeah. Bill Belichick might not look like he's having fun. That's him smiling. He's having fun. (laughs) I don't know that he's ever looked like he's, he's like, Hey, what'd you do this weekend? I went to Disney world. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have fun? Yeah. I had a blast. You can't tell. No, I cannot tell. (laughs) Oh man. All right. What's the single best piece of advice you've ever been given? And I'm sure you've been given a ton. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Dan- Danielle told me once, and I said this earlier when we were talking, but Danielle told me once that one of the key drivers to his, to his success and success is curiosity. And I think that that is something that has always stuck with me. I, I think I find myself when I'm around chefs like Danielle and Thomas Keller and all these other chefs when I'm especially with Bocuse and, all that, what drives them is curiosity. I've never gone out to eat with any of those chefs and not listen to them have a conversation with the chef of that restaurant and ask them how they made their steak. How did you wilt the spinach? How'd you make the demi-glaze? They know how to make it. They're not asking, they're not asking them to compare. See, that's the difference. 
what they're doing is they're asking because they think they might learn something they don't know. Yep. And all too often, I think what happens is, is we ask questions for comparison to validate us. We're asking the question only to find validation in what, has, what would have been our answer. Oh, that's the way I'm not asking the question. Right, exactly. We're not yeah. asking the question to say, tell me what your experience is in making this because I might learn something from you. And that, that to me is really, really important. It sticks in my head a lot. Yeah. I, I ask all the time because I feel like there's so much I don't know. And I'll, I'll use coming to Stodge at Spoon and Stable as an example. I, I've been dicing onions since I was 17. Somehow when you go Stodge somewhere, though, the thought that comes to my mind is, what if I don't know how to dice an onion? Like, right. what, if, what if I don't know anything that I think I know? Because we've all got, there's, you know, a thousand ways to skin a cat. Well, what if you're not doing it the way they do it? But there's always something to take away from someone else. And that's the, that's the beautiful thing about being a stage or being an intern or having these conversations is there's so much of a takeaway for so little effort. I mean, it's, you know, sitting down and talking to somebody who's lived the experiences that you have, who's had the success that you have. I might as well have read a book, but that would have taken me hours. This took one you know, 17 yeah. minutes of it was totally wasted staring at a black screen, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. But well, at I mean, least we know that you've got four Zoom accounts. We should probably no. let your wife know that you're living all these other personalities, you know. We won't tell her. It's fine. Uh, don't tell her. I'm going to have to delete this part of the podcast. <laughs> oh, man. Well, listen, I know you've got a ton going on. I greatly appreciate your time. Sorry I kept you a little bit over. Um, Not a problem. Thank you for... Thank you for being you, man, and for, for making the changes that you're making in the industry and the world. And I can't wait to see what continues to happen. I appreciate it. Thank you. And once we get the four seasons open, you should come up, stay with us, and do a little eating tour. You will not have to twist my arm very hard. Good. I look forward to Thanks, it. Thanks, Chef. Appreciate it. All right, brother. Talk see to you, you soon. All right, bye.